You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You have tuned in to 3CR's program, Behind Closed Doors. This program explores all topics related to sex work. We give sex workers and allies a comfortable space to share their experiences. We also appreciate questions from the general public. Behind Closed Doors aim to uncover what the sex industry is really like. Our program exists to bridge the gaps. Please be mindful, this program is not suitable for little years as there may also be explicit language use. Please connect with us on Twitter at bcd3cr or email us at bcd3cr at gmail.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR 855 AM and digital. Hi everyone, I'm Dean and welcome to Behind Closed Doors, Australia's only sex work radio show. The Australian government has recently moved to increase its powers to take online porn off the internet. Now, this raises a number of concerns for sex workers and porn performers alike. So today we'll be chatting to porn performer Kim Cummins and adult entertainment legal expert Jared Bartle. Kim is on the board of sex work violence prevention charity Red Files and uploads adult content to her website and social media. Jared Bartle is a law graduate and works at Adult Industry Association Eros. He has a particular interest in the way the law deals with kink fetish imagery. Although porn and sex work are in some respects separate occupations, with increased use of OnlyFans, social media and smartphones, many sex workers create porn images online to advertise and engage with prospective clients. This means that porn laws affect sex workers, and so on Behind Closed Doors we aim to cover changes to Australia's porn laws. Anyone can make a submission on the new proposed online content laws before 14th of February 2021, and we'll provide links on our website and social media. We will also be making a submission and we strongly encourage sex workers, allies and listeners to make a submission too. Welcome to Behind Closed Doors, Jarrett and Kim. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me. Jarrett, can you briefly introduce yourself and your interest in porn laws, your work at Eros that involves lobbying for better porn laws? So I uh, started my career as as a criminal lawyer before moving into a kind of a policy space around sexuality in the criminal law. And that's how I've ended up working as an advisor to the Eros Association and in various adult industries on how we can change the legal landscape in Australia to to better serve sex workers, porn performers, everyone involved in, in the adult industry generally. Kim, can you briefly introduce yourself, your interest in porn laws, uh, you know, just what you've done in creating adult content? Absolutely. Uh, so I've been doing porn in various capacities, uh, webcamming, and shooting for other companies then before starting my own company and website. So I've been doing that uh, since about 2013 now. The current legal landscape in Australia in relation to online uh, adult media, if we want to kind of frame it narrowly like that, is that there is a a body, a federal body called the Safety Commissioner. It is currently empowered to have takedown powers. So it's able to take down online content 
if it is sexually explicit. So that currently exists under our current law. It's, you know, federally porn is, is not currently legal online. However, the current laws are constrained to content which is hosted in Australia. So that's why you don't see a lot of Australian porn websites hosted on Australian servers, so they don't have the .au. And it's also why Australia doesn't have its own OnlyFans, for example. All the adult content in Australia is hosted overseas, or it's advertised via social media, so Twitter, Facebook, etc. This new bill that's come forward, this online safety bill, uh, which is currently out for consultation, is extremely expanding the powers of the safety commissioner out further so that they apply to content which is hosted overseas and content that is on social media. The bulk of the online safety bill is dealing with harassment, violence, revenge porn type or abuse-based imagery. There is a particular part of this bill, part nine, which has unfortunately broadened out uh, the the scope of the e-safety commissioner to be able to take down sexually explicit material. So it could have quite broad reaching effects. Part nine of the bill, it's it deals with two types of material. There's class one material and class two material. From a sex worker's perspective, all you need to know about class one material is that it, it deals with, I guess, fetishes is the best way of, of talking about it. And then Fetish material is defined quite broadly under Australian classification laws. So it includes body piercing, uh, the application of candle wax is part of the fetish definition, golden showers, bondage, spanking, fisting, all of that comes under this class one material. If this bill were to pass, that material could be removed from social media or from websites, whether hosted in Australia or overseas, within 24 hours. So it could be completely removed online. There's also a further part of that class one material section, which allows uh, the safety commissioner to actually have material taken away from search engines. They can delete links between say Google and that material. So if you're a sex worker or a performer that specializes in fetishes, you can have your entire business taken down within 24 hours under this current model. And that's under this class one section. The class two section is a bit more complicated and that deals with all other sexually explicit material between consenting adults. It is uh, susceptible to a similar takedown notice scheme only if it is provided from Australia. Now, that terminology, that provided from Australia terminology it has not existed previously under these broadcasting laws. I don't know personally what that means. My biggest concern is that provided from Australia uh, may include streaming and webcamming, in which case people that make their money from OnlyFans or streaming content can also have material taken down within 24 hours. That's quite a dramatic power that, that's now been put in place. A final point that I think needs to be said about these laws as well is if the social media site or the server doesn't take down this content within 24 hours, they are susceptible to a fine or a financial penalty. My biggest concern in terms of um, sex work and porn and more broadly is if this scheme were to come into effect, 
social media sites and all websites that currently host sex workers may become incredibly risk averse and choose to just get rid of any and all sex worker or sexually explicit material from their websites. So to avoid being fined, they're going to overreact. Breathe in and out. You're listening to 3CR. On this episode of Behind Closed Doors, I've been chatting with Jared Bartle and Kim Cummins about the Australian government's proposed anti-porn laws. In your experience, Kim, what do you think? Starting my own website has given me a lot of insight into how to run a porn website that's, I guess, somewhat Australian while obviously having nothing to do with Australia because we can't host it here and the company is not Australian and we can't do the billing here. So there's literally no aspect of my website or my content that actually has anything to do with Australia at all. So I find these laws quite interesting in that it feels like this horrible love child between the absolutely failed UK porn law and Foster Sesta. And we know that the UK porn law absolutely failed for similar reasons. And then we know the absolutely, you know, devastating effects that Foster Sesta has had on sex workers around the globe. And so the Australian government has been like, wow, look at these two absolute legal failures that have had devastating effects on marginalized and vulnerable communities. Let's combine them. And um, so here we are today talking about this. So, so Jared, with the change or proposed changes in the laws, mm-hmm. if people, uh, performers have content that is of an adult nature that is not fetish, it's between mm-hmm. consenting adults, that can be targeted to be taken down? Yeah, it can be if it is, and I'm using the terminology in the bill here, provided from Australia. Right, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I we need clarification on what that, that means because um, it doesn't mean hosted in Australia, which is what the previous laws were all about, being hosted on an Australian server. It says provided from Australia, and it's not clear to me what the, what that means legally. Are there different classifications for the different types of online porn? Yeah, there are. So, Bill references the current scheme under the classification board. So when any media is classified in Australia, you get a kind of G, PG, M, M, A, R. There's also within the current classification board classifications for X18+. And so that's the equivalent to this that class two thing in the bill where it, it, it may be susceptible to take down if it's provided from Australia. Or things might be refused classification, and that would be equivalent to the class one material. So currently in Australia, technically, you can't sell fetish content because that would be refused classification under the classification laws. Another confusing element to all of this, another reason why we need to get this part removed from the bill, is that those current classification categories are currently being reviewed via a separate inquiry right now. And so there's there's a chance that these, these categories that they're using for this online content scheme may be entirely different next year. And I think that's worth emphasizing in anyone making a submission that the main thing that we need to get to lawmakers in terms of this bill is the bulk of this bill is to do with harmful, violent material not consensual adult media. The real thing that we need to emphasize is that if you want to deal with consensual adult media, 
deal with it under a separate bill, deal with it under a separate piece of legislation that actually considers the, the complex factors associated with that. If you're dealing with violent or abusive material, deal with that separately. So we just want to have that part nine removed from the bill. What can we do for, you know, what can listeners do? What can we do in order to have a say? So this, this bill is currently before a consultation process. So you can, anyone can make a submission to this bill. I think if this is going to impact your livelihood, you absolutely should make a submission to this bill. If you uh, go to the communications.gov website, you should be able to find the inquiry. Or if you just Google online safety bill consultation, that'll take you to the, the website where you can make a formal submission. And I encourage as many people as possible to make a submission. Mm, we'll definitely be making a submission and we will strongly encourage everyone to do so. We will provide the links uh, in our social media so people can readily find that, as well as just emailing us, which is bcd3cr at gmail.com. Wow, okay, this is uh, huge. You've been listening to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR. Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. You've been listening to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR. So when I saw this, you know, the new Australian or proposed changes to the Australian porn laws, it uh, alarmed me because I thought, okay, here we go again, foster sister all over again, where a lot of, and as Jared mentioned, there were going to be, uh, a do- there's going to be a domino effect of companies closing their doors to sex workers and the sex community because they do not want to be fined. They don't want to have, uh, you know, the government on their back, so to speak. Um, so yeah, we, we have to take advantage of the uh, of what we can do now, which is put in submissions. Kim, why do you think that there's been such a, a, a I guess a resurgence or a renaissance of online work? You know, we've got OnlyFans, we've got Just for Fans. There have been so many platforms for people in the sex community, not just fetish, but people in general, to create content. Well, obviously, we've had a lot of interesting extenuating circumstances and things happen in the sex work community over the past couple of years. Foster Sesta was obviously, I feel like, a catalyst for this as well. I feel that when a lot of advertising platforms went down, a lot of sex workers even then started this exodus more into online platforms because they didn't feel that they were able to maybe screen as effectively for in-person bookings once, you know, Backpage and Cracker and even other smaller directories and things went down because they were US based. And so, you know, that was, I feel like a first step. We saw more people getting into cam work and OnlyFans became more popular around that period as well. And then when we had COVID hit this year and 
There was a marked lack of support from various governments around the world when it came to supporting sex workers that obviously didn't want to work and do in-person work during a global pandemic. That was absolutely the next push for more and more people to switch into online forms of sex work, as well as not only in-person sex workers moving into porn and online sex work, but just vulnerable people and people that were, you know, in an economic position where they also just needed to make money. So we've had more people that weren't even doing sex work previously come into an OnlyFans space during this time as well. And OnlyFans is the platform of the moment. There's there's always a platform of the moment. When I was doing camming, it was, it was like flirt for free and many cams. And then it was, you know, my free cams. And then it was many vids. There's always a platform that is the most popular. And at the minute that happens to be OnlyFans, but I'm sure in 12 months from now, it might be something else entirely. Yeah. It, it's always changing. And what, what we've discussed on our show behind closed doors is that sex workers in the sex community will always find a way to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just what we're finding is that there's this moral uh, kind of backlash against being sex positive. And I want to I want to raise a, a comment to both Jared and yourself, Kim, is that um, when classifying film and online porn, the Australian Classification Board is legally required to take into account, and I quote, the standards of morality, decency, and propriety generally accepted by reasonable adults, close quotes. Now that, to me, sounds so judgmental, so sex negative, highly moralistic, possibly from a religious overtone as well. What are, you, what are your thoughts first, Kim? You know, I think we see this all of the time when it comes to porn discussions. And I think having a government that currently has a lot of members of Hillsong involved in it at the moment is certainly not helping us approach this from a much more open-minded and progressive mindset. There's always a tone of um, religious morality when it comes to anti-porn laws, regardless of what country they're being passed in. But it's just interesting. And I think I've seen, you know, having grown up in the States and then moved here, I've really seen the current Australian government really march to the tune of the UK and the US when it comes to these porn laws and online sex work laws. But if we look at New Zealand for a second, because it was less than 12 months ago that New Zealand released one of the best online safety porn ads that I have ever seen in my entire life as part of their online safety campaign. And if you can find a way to link it in somewhere, it was part of New Zealand's keepitrealonline.government.nz. The outset is this suburban street and this middle-aged woman opens her door to find two completely naked adults on her doorstep. They're supposed to be porn performers and they're like, oh, your son has been watching us. But... This ad does an amazing job of normalizing that porn performers are people. And then it does a really great job of reminding parents that it is their job to educate their kids about porn and about online safety and that porn isn't real sex and that it's meant to be entertainment. One of the um, porn stars, quote unquote, in the ad says, you know, I'd never act that way in real life type thing. And it's just 
great because it was just so well done. And I just really felt that they must have, you know, either just actually spent time listening to sex workers before they did this or had some sex workers consulting on this ad because it was just really wonderfully done. So it's disappointing to see this religiously driven anti-sex anti-porn movement coming from Australia when we could look a lot closer for a much better example and a much better solution that doesn't rely on passing these moralistic types of laws and instead could be grounded in an online internet safety educational campaign that's not necessarily heavily legislated and criminalized behind it. Mm, I think you need to get on. I need. I think you need to get on some sort of board or committee, Kim. You've got some um, good insights, and I, 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 I've seen that. It's so good, really clever, very clever. Jared, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree with Kim that that New Zealand campaign really kind of hit hit the right point about you know deciphering kind of a fictional scenario designed for adult entertainment from the reality of sex. And it always strikes me as, as strange that, as you noted in the classification scheme, it talks about community standards. And I'm mindful that, that all of us probably work in a bit of a bubble um, in terms of views to do with pornography and sex work, but I don't think the current community standards are as anti-porn as, as some of the representatives try to depict it as. I mean, even if we look at the classification uh, guidelines to do with fetishes, you know, application of substances such as candle wax, I don't think the majority of Australians would view that as so, so kinky that it deserves censorship. It's very strange that when we talk about community standards, it's usually, or community morality, it's the morality of a very tiny minority of Australians. The vast majority of Australians watch pornography. Um, so I find this a bit odd. With this bill, I've been going back and forth as to whether or not this is designed with pornography in mind or whether this bill has been drafted and they've just copy and pasted things that have been in previous legislation and haven't thought through the consequences. From my experience speaking to public servants and, and lawmakers, the vast majority of the time, it's not that they're anti-sex work or anti-porn, it's that they just have not even considered it. There's kind of an ignorance factor. And I, you know, that would be the best situation if all this this negative stuff is just in there because people haven't thought through the consequences. If it's that, that's great because when we make submissions, they'll be responsive. But if it's the other thing, if it if it's that people want to push this moralistic agenda, it just strikes me as very unrepresentative of the Australian community to to push this very narrow sex negative agenda. My gut feeling is telling me it's coming from both perspectives. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and as from what Kim has uh, mentioned, we have a government at the moment in Australia, a federal government that is quite conservative, uh, religiously based. So similar to what's happened in the States with the Republican Party being uh, formally being in power uh, and the Tories in the UK being in power. So a conservative, a religiously conservative government who have come from a place of ignorance as well regarding the sex industry. Mm -hmm. And so my question to, I guess, to both of you is for the future, how do we, apart from making submissions, how can we uh, better communicate? How can we better bridge the gap, so to speak, with these conservatives? Because they are in a position of power, 
ideally we'd love to be able to have a conversation with them to say, hey, you know, can we just tell you, inform you about our industry? We're not that scary. I, how, I think how do we do it? One of the strongest arguments that can be made, particularly right now, is to frame our arguments around free speech. It mm -hmm. is okay. a speech issue, particularly a, a free speech issue to do with social media, which is something that conservatives are banging the drum about right now. I've found that that's the best way to cross the aisle. Unfortunately, they're probably not as receptive to worker well-being and, uh, you know, general sex positive discourse in this area. But I've found by focusing it on government censorship and free speech, you can convince a lot of libertarian-leaning conservatives over to your side. Look, I feel it's really hard to convince conservatives at the best of time, but I've had similar luck around the kind of free speech angle, but I feel there's always a step that you need to get across because people don't see sex and sexual expression as necessarily being free speech but if you can get over that hurdle then yes it's a lot easier to make the argument that hey this is also um free speech and it should be allowed but that's usually you know that first step and there's only a certain number of people you're going to get um you know into your aisle and onto your side of the court um by making that argument and look some people are just never going to be convinced like i think we just have to accept that you know some conservatives will just never come over to our side on these particular issues. But I do feel that if there was some burden of proof to actually prove that the community was offended by porn, that would be good because that's not something that they're actually being forced to prove at the minute. And I think the candle wax example is great because you can walk into standard Australian lingerie stores these days and you can buy little whips and you can buy little things of soy wax candle melts and you've been able to do that at like honey Burdette for years and probably even on you know seasonal occasions where 50 shades of gray has been really popular oh you know god save us from that but because that made kink and stuff popular amongst people that you know otherwise would have been a bit more sexually conservative and classed as vanilla we've seen those small little bits of kinks and blindfolds and handcuffs and stuff, you know, be sold at major places, um, like even bras and things, which isn't even as risque as Honey Burdette. So if we can do that, and that's okay, and it's okay to have, you know, photos of women in lingerie with their lacy little bondage blindfold with the Fifty Shades of Grey branding across the window, then, you know, online porn should be fine. Because if you're going to make a save the children argument, kids walk past those shops with their parents all of the time. And we are not censoring that in any capacity. Parents have a capacity to watch their own internet connections and use built-in internet safety tools from their internet providers, which is why that's one of the reasons it's so infuriating that um, it says link removal from Google. I'm like, there's already internet safety tools. There's already safety search tools built into Google. If you have your safe search turned on, 98% of porn is not going to show up when your kids are looking for stuff. And you can already get free copies of NetNanny. Like, instead of wasting taxpayer money with this bill, they could just be saying, hey, we're going to sponsor free licenses for parents. We as the Australian government know if you have kids, if you're declaring kids on your taxes, hey, here's a free license. You can just download it, drop in your tax file number, and we'll email you a free thing to NetNanny or 
any number of other solutions. Just common sense. I think just very common sense, uh, calm, common sense approach to these things, a practical approach rather than a knee-jerk what I feel is a hysterical reaction to sex. Hmm. We have the answers already. I mean, it, it's not that we're, we're asking to change the laws because, as Jared mentioned before, the laws are pretty good already. It's just part nine that we're looking at, which will have extremely damaging ramifications for especially social media and online platforms. I was going to say on, on that point, in terms of the online safety bill, there are probably sections of that the bill that would actually be favourable to sex workers. And I think that's worth emphasising that there's there's great stuff in here to do with abuse-based imagery and misuse of, of material, which is a huge thing for performers having their content ripped off from their website and shared elsewhere. So th there's probably tools in here to do with harassment and everything like that that, that sex, work, sex workers would probably quite like. And it's just that part nine that just seems incredibly inappropriate compared to the rest of the bill and what it's trying to do. And I think that's a good thing to point out because if they want sex workers who they clearly feel are vulnerable because of these adult cyber abuse things, in the same way that we talk about decriminalization with full service sex work, we are not going to see sex workers take advantage of these cyber abuse clauses of this if they feel they're also being targeted by the online porn section because the last thing anyone is going to want to do is say hey I'm submitting a complaint because I'm being abused on Twitter or another social media platform and I'm not getting anywhere myself and I'd like to you know use this to help myself out and to deal with this online harassment and abuse but also people will not want to draw attention to themselves if they feel that it's going to draw negative attention to themselves and then they're going to have their own content taken down by the online content scheme portion of this bill like we could not more or less criminalize and target and take down this consensual content and also expect people to, you know, take part, take advantage of the good parts of the bill. That's just disappointing to see because it's essentially what we see, again, with full service sex work and criminalization. This is another five hours of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great chatting with you, Kim and Jared. We are definitely going to have to come back and revisit this. Jared, when is the um, the bill likely to be tabled? So submissions close um, for the consultation period on the 14th of February. Um, and then post then there'll be a report and a final draft of the bill and then likely it'll be entered after that. So if we're looking timelines, my bet would be you'd probably have a finalized bill entered in say April. Um, if it was going to go ahead. Ideally, though, we want to have the part nine bit taken out during this consultation stage. So if you could make your submissions, I encourage people to make submissions by the 14th of February. Okay. And then once the bill is actually uh, tabled, worst case scenario, the government doesn't listen to anybody. They just mm. go ahead and steamroll it through. Part nine is still in the bill. It gets tabled. It becomes a bill. Can we do anything else? I think then it's a matter of contacting key lawmakers to add amendments to the bill. So once it's in parliament, 
parliamentarians can make amendments to it. I would be encouraging people to contact people within the Liberal Party that are, I guess, more classically liberal or smaller liberal and considerate um, of sex workers, as well as Labor and the Greens. Um, and in the upper house, it would be a matter of uh, contacting people that are favourable to the sex industry in, in some way. So there's a couple of independents in there that I think would be good to contact if it gets to that stage. I mean, at the top of my head, Jackie Lambie's quite a good person who tends to shift both ways on certain issues and she'd be a great one to put this sort of amendment forward on. I think we're gonna have to tackle that once we get to it and see what form the bill is in by the time it's entered into Parliament. Okay, okay, everyone, we don't have time. We really need to get our submissions in. So yes, follow our social media. We'll have the links provided. I'd love to mention how people can contact you or be made aware of you. So if people want to find my content or contact me, they can visit uh, kimcums.com, K-I-M-C-U-M-S.com. I'm also on Twitter, but I'm frequently shadow banned, so you probably won't have too much luck finding me there. But if you go to my website, all of my social media links um, and other websites are linked there. The best place to contact me is via my website as well. So uh, jaredbartle.com, that's Jared with a Y. Um, and if people want to contact me by my contact page about these sorts of issues, uh, feel free to do it. We thank Jared and Kim so much for their time. And Jared and Kim, we definitely will have a major, huge episode, two-part episode, definitely looking at this later in the year. Kim and Jared, thank you so much again for your time. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Behind Closed Doors. We are Australia's only sex work radio show. And we're here every Thursday, 6pm on 3CR, 855am and digital radio.